We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the hills of Strawberry Canyon, I'm Coin Dang, and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go, go Bears! What is up, Cal fans? We are back with another episode of the California Golden Bear Cast, a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Andy. Alongside me is my other co-host. Rob, what's happening, buddy? He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. Coin dang, coin dang. We sang that song at the game. We figured it works. If you watch Ted Lasso, you know the song. Um, I mean, it would be it great. Works. It works, he but he's play. not on the field. <laughs> he's not on the field. <laughs> great in theory. It is great in theory. And it sounded great with like eight of us singing it at the stadium in the student section, like near the student section. It was absolutely great. But um, yeah, I'm here. We're here. We're here with also, the one and two bears, one and two bears. But before we get into that, I am taking care of my parents, pug, Molly, which is great. She loves me, will not let me out of her sight, but has a very unfortunate habit of barking at not nothing, which she's currently doing right now. She's staring at a door and barking at it. And I can uh, hear her. So if you hear that, please you know, excuse 2020, yeah. 2021 life. You know how it goes. Can't yeah. get out to Vegas, Vegas yet to use our Blue Wire studio. So uh, until until then, you guys will have to do with the pug appearances. Yeah, I mean you've heard my dog on the air too. So and we, I think we've heard Andy's dog on the air as well. So you're getting all the dogs. This is a dog friendly podcast. <laughs> all the dogs. All so the yeah, dogs. one and two. All right, we got a win. We did. To be expected. Yeah. Exactly as we drew it up. Mm-hmm. A nice close game with Sacramento State. <laughs> <laughs> I well all right let's let's just I guess we should just get into it so <clears throat> we have a lot of fan takes that people have said so I'm thinking we'll go over the general stuff we'll go over like what it was like to be there all that then we'll go into all of the the our listeners and the takes that they sent us we'll read it and then we'll kind of talk about it because I think they all kind of hint at something different and they all kind of tap on something that we might want to talk about. 
So we're going to use our listeners to to uh, push the conversation about this game. But of course, if there's other tangents that we go on about the game, that's it's bound to happen. It's it's Andy and me talking, so we're we're bound to go on tangents. We're going to let the listeners have control of the pod as it should be. Power, Power to back people, to the baby. people. Power to the people. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's ride the roller coaster. All right. Um. So the game. It was um. It was a little cloudy all day, kind of overcast. I actually liked it that way, considering it was a one p.m. kickoff. So no sun in my face all day long. Absolutely great because I was in the stands for this one. I was not in the box. Um, and the student section still came out in full force. Uh, it was packed. The mic men still need some work on when they are supposed to do chance and when they're not. Uh, the student section was sitting to start the game, which was very disappointing. Uh, but the alumni band was there. The band, of course, did not start on the field, but they did everything on the sidelines. They did do their regular halftime show. The Sac State band was there. They played some BTS songs, which I was I was taken aback by. I never heard a marching band play K-pop music, and so it was a... It was like a, I was like, whoa, they're playing what well, they're playing BTS. And I was like, wow, I guess that that tells you how uh, how worldwide they are now. Um, but that was an experience. Uh, Jalen Brown was also in attendance at the game. He's hanging out in Berkeley. I don't know if he's still in Berkeley right now, but he's been hanging out in Berkeley. He's been working out at uh, Haas Pavilion. Uh, you can see the pictures on the Cal men's basketball, I think, Instagram or their Twitter handle. There's pictures there. Uh, and then he led a chant, um, which was very awkward. It was a very, very awkward chant. Um, he would yell out what uh, UC Berkeley and the crowd would yell out UC Cal. And it was like, like, what do you see? UC Berkeley, you know, the, the it's the, the ad, the ad that you see in like on game days, right? When you're watching at home on TV, except yeah, but it'd be it. Jalen would say. You see Berkeley, like you, like see with your sight, Berkeley, and the crowd would yell, you see Cal. And I was like, this is, Dumb. this is like a D tier chant. <laughs> like, it makes it sound like our name is you see Cal, which we yeah. already have enough confusion with. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. Damn it. Not great. Bad to worse. Um... <laughs> But outside of that, uh, it was fun to see uh, Justin Wilcox on the sidelines with uh, crutches. <laughs> Him uh, hobbling down the tunnel and walking his way over. It was kind of funny because he would always stand on the opposite end of the direction the play was going. Right. So if he's going from south to north, like from the south end zone to north end zone, he would stay on the south end of the of the bench. And then when it flipped, he'd go to the other side. That was, it was just kind of his thing to, I guess, I guess, avoid like just people running across and, and all the, the chatter. Uh, but yeah, he's on crutches. It looks like he will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Achilles is no joke, man. That hurts. Yeah. The fact that he's coaching right now is, is if you were if anyone was questioning the toughness of just Wilcox. Well, we don't know if it's an Achilles. He just said he re-injured. No, they previously, did at, they say at, it was an the Achilles? Announced it on the TV. Yeah, they said it was an Achilles. Great. Well, Cal Football PR just put it out as that he re-injured, he re-aggravated like an injury, a previous injury. Um, 
So, yeah, if it is an Achilles, then, yeah, if they said that on the broadcast, that's what it is. And, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's Molly where we're at. Like Molly's not a fan. No, Molly's not a fan. But is have you ever witnessed this? Have you ever witnessed a coach with a season-long, like, debilitating injury, like, on crutches to start the season, and now he's, like, you know, hobbling around? the the sidelines on his two crutches i would say that just put him in a wheelchair like i i think honestly that might be the better option so at least he can wheel himself up and down the sideline like to see him on crutches like with you know with his like game book like in his hand it was a uh, i feel like i feel like you could you could ease yourself a little bit i still think that wheelchair it's like if the play is coming at you you're done for yeah you're done whereas like crutches you can still kind of jump out of the way i don't know could we get him could we get him like an elevated like lifeguard seat you know like or like a tennis a tennis ref yeah you know one of those just have him like right at the 50 yard line just a little yeah a little little not in the box per se but you know if i were to guess i would actually say it's probably illegal i'm pretty sure it's illegal might yeah it might give you an unfair actual ability Advantage. to yeah to see um which i don't see why he wouldn't be up idea. in the box i think he could easily be up in the box gotta be down with your players yeah but, but yeah i mean it sort of seems like the theme of this season right now is like when it rains it pours yes you know wilcox is hurt and i mean he's just got to be going through it right now i feel for the guy it just it's a, you know, this team could be three and zero, easily, and maybe that injury doesn't happen, or who knows. And you know, it's a very different story for Cal, but instead, it's it's zero and three, and you know, as we'll talk about later, we lost zero and three. Oh, I'm sorry, zero and three, one and two. Uh, it's one and two, and we lost our, you know, the best two recruits we've had in the last ten years. So, tough shit. <laughs> tough two weeks. Tough two weeks. Tough two weeks. Tough two. But weeks. yeah, let's let's uh, let's get into the game stats. Tell me how it went, Rob. All right. So Sacramento State with head coach, former Cal quarterback Troy Taylor, to visit Berkeley, got a nice little warm ovation when they announced his name uh, on the field. I think he gave a little wave to the crowd, and I can't remember too fondly. Uh, but it was a nice little moment. But Cal beats Sacramento State 42-30. to 30. The Bears uh, led behind a pretty stout rushing attack. 246 yards on the ground as a team, averaging 7.5 yards a carry. No sack adjustment was needed because Chase didn't take any sacks. Chase was 22 of 34, one interception, 288 yards, two touchdowns, and along a 45. That long 45 went to Jeremiah Hunter on his lone touchdown of the game. Jeremiah Hunter, seven targets, five, five receptions, 78 yards, and 20 yards after catch. Trayvon Clark right behind him with seven targets as well, four catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. The Bears, uh, rushing-wise, as I, as I said, was outstanding. Damian Moore, uh, 87 carries or 87 yards, 87 yards. The Damian Moore, 87 yards, 12 carries, two touchdowns, 7.2 yards per carry. And then, uh, you know, the funny stat about this is we had four running backs play. And outside of Marcel Dancy, who only got four carries for six yards, 
the rest all had a, a plus seven yard average per carry. Pretty dang amazing. Um, in terms of the defense, uh, this was not a pretty game, man. Uh, Tattersall and ISFA still led the way with uh, the most tackles on the team. Tattersall with 10 total tackles, ISFA with nine. Um, the only other like fun stats here is ISFA had one tackle for a loss, and Ethan Saunders, one of my guys, uh, had a tackle for a loss as well. No sacks, a couple of pass breakups here and there, a couple of QB hurries, but that was pretty much the game. The Bears, you know, got off to a hot start again on offense. Debbie Moore, four yard rush. Then Sacramento answered with a seven yard rush. Then Damian Moore, four yard rush. Jeremiah Hunter, 45 yard pass. Uh, then to start the start the second half, Nico Remigio, of course, finally ran one back. 99 yard kickoff return. And then Sacramento State with a two yard rush touchdown. Cal answers with a Trayvon Clark reception for, tw- for 12 yards and a touchdown. Sacramento State answers again with a pass for 34 yards and touchdown. And then Garbers rushes 16 yards for on a scramble for a touchdown. And then it was a field goal and a pass from Sacramento State to get it up to 30. That being said, Sacramento State also missed two field goal attempts. So if you were to put that back up, and they missed a PAT, I believe. So if you put that back up, they should be... We should we should have or we could have only won by five. That's yeah, they were really bad misses. Yeah, but those are the the stats for the game. Uh, Andy, your takes on the game generally? Well, I because I want to save it for what the fans are saying. I'm not going to say speak too much here. I just want to call out specific plays that were amazing. Chase on the play so one hunter beat two guys on that touchdown mm-hmm. so sick he beat the corner beat the safety and chase also stepped up into that throw the fact he got that ball where it was like that's probably one of the most impressive throws i've ever seen him make yeah like he stepped up and then like almost like took his arm over and forward and then full into motion and release like there was no pause or regathering and using that for momentum it was so sick was such a dope play. Um, the run was super impressive as well. And my boy Damian Moore just keeps doing what, you know, what, what, what do we say? 1,313 touchdowns or something yeah. like that. In the He's on pace. He could be on pace. on pace. Like the guy has lived up to his billing and the running game is one of the most exciting things, I think, for us in a long time because it's what we've been asking for and it's been largely absent. And now if we were to able to build a team around the run instead of the pass, obviously still we have a, an effective passing game, but a team that can do the Wisconsin formula, you know, the defense just has to shore up. And, uh, you know, I think overall people expect these games to be blowouts, but they forget like Troy Taylor was the OC at Utah and was doing you know was a very effective coordinator against Pac-12 teams I'm not surprised our defense looked bad I really wasn't it it didn't look great and yeah there was a lot of blown assignments there's a tremendous amount of PIs the linebackers were in terrible position Wilcox basically fired Trey Watson in the postgame presser (laughs) 
like <laughs> there wasn't it there's a lot to work on but at the same time i thought that i was i just i didn't walk away from it i understand that their quarterback had has does not have a history of success and that's concerning but as far as the head coach the identity of the team the fact that they were able to move the football for as much as they did was surprising, but the fact that they were able to move it effectively was not. And I, that was my, that's all I'll say for now. What were your thoughts? I think you're spot on. I mean, I'm looking, I mean, people were like, oh, we didn't get any sacks against an FCS school. But for me, like sacks are so, how do you, how do you say it? It's, they're like wins in baseball. Right. It, it's, it's so, it, it's by the skin of your teeth, right? There were a bunch of times where we got to the quarterback and as he's going down, he like chucks it to the sideline and he throws it away, like coming out of the pocket. Right. And like, yeah, that doesn't go in as a sack on the, on the, in the record book, but that's pretty much a sack. It's just, he got the pass off to throw, throw it away. Right. Um, it's QB under pressure. And I right. think that one of the things that I was looking for as I was rewatching it was, what people had called out and just said that the pass rush looks really bad. And what I, I saw was a collapsing pocket in a lot of different mm-hmm. situations, like you said, and a quarterback that just got out of it. And I just think we've struggled with QBs that have done that. Yeah. You know, out strong really isn't all that mobile, but even still was able to kind of take advantage of it. And then if you look at TCU, you know, that was where a lot of breakdowns happened for us. I mean, we basically lost the game on that play, you know, yep. where, Quarterback snuck out. So, um, and I, so that's why I kind of go back to linebackers. I think it's, there's too much space with our linebacking core right now. And it's crazy because it's like, yeah, Tattersall had 10 tackles. And I'm like, damn, remember the days when you and I would just sit back, put our hands behind our head and be like, we're just going to get 18 tackles today. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, the inside linebackers, that's like one of the key points of, of discussion is why has there been a significant drop off? Um, and I have some thoughts that I wanted to to talk about with you in terms of, you know, people talk about the coaching staff and why this defense is regressed and struggling. And I have some, uh, some, I don't know if they're hot takes, but there are, there are some different versions of uh, opinions. And I want to, I want to talk about that, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit um, on your note of Damian Moore, before we get into the, the bigger, sh- bigger uh or the more in-depth stuff from the from the fans that have written into us so sophomore running back damian moore this is from the game notes for the ew game leads the golden bears rushing attack with 79 yards per game fourth in the pac 12 averages 5.8 yards per rush has scored at least one rushing touchdown all three games this season with a total of five in 2021 to date two scores at tcu and uh two versus sex state Moore's five rushing TDs are the most in the first three games of the season for Cal since Shane Vereen, who's actually calling the UW Cal game on Pac-12 Network this week, posting who posted six rushing touchdowns in the first three games of the 2010 season. Moore also ranks third in the Pac-12 in both total touchdowns, 15th in the NCAA, and total points scored, 22nd in the NCAA. Moore has also rushed for at least 70 yards in all three games with a game high of 87 plus a season long of a 32 yard rush against Dak State, which he almost broke away for even longer Mm -hmm. if he didn't get that shoestring tackle. Yeah, I mean, I think 
Well, one, are we on the... All right, so great. It's Damien Moore hype time. Awesome. So (laughs) the thing that I think he does so well that we just have not had at Cal in so long is he doesn't... He has amazing vision. Yeah. His vision is so good. So if you look at his first two scores, what happened? Well, the defense actually played the with the direction of the run really well. But Damien has his head up, sees the other side of the fields open and just cuts back to yep. the right. And it's when it's an easy score. He did the same thing on the second touchdown. And it's just like watching this guy sit back, see how the play unfolds. You know, sometimes he follows his blocker. Sometimes he, you know, he's not afraid to bounce it outside and out of the, in another direction. His lateral movement to me is what makes him such a special running back. And it's just a running back that we haven't had. Patrick Laird ended up being more of like a vertical type runner. It wasn't someone that I think really had that lateral skill set as much as Damian Moore does. He has the ability, Damian Moore has the ability to break tackles and, you know, go to that, you know, third, fourth tackle. Uh, but the one piece he's missing and he just will not have is that breakaway speed. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the difference between him, I think, even, even having one or two like 60 plus yard touchdowns this year. And we saw it last year against Stanford, right? It's like, he can still get caught down by that last DB. Um, and that's my only knock. The guy is, he's such a breath of fresh air. And so when Jaden Ott actually decommitted, did I say his first name yeah. right? Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> I actually was like, well, who cares? You know, I was like him. I was able to just be like, eh, whatever. Don't I don't care because we have Damian Moore for at least two more years. So <laughs> I was like, I, you're talking to me about it. something that, you know, I don't mind. And it's like maybe he's looking at that and being like, oh, running back room's crowded. The second one hurt a little bit more. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. Are you what are your thoughts on on Damian Moore so far? I think he's great. I think the one-two punch that they're kind of creating with him and to Carlos Brooks. To Carlos Brooks is my guy, right? Like I've been, I've been clamoring for him to get game time for two years now. Um, so for me to to get to see him, I think to Carlos has that breakaway speed. But the one thing with to Carlos is he hasn't had enough, has had the same amount of reps that Damian has, right? And Damian's instincts when he's has the ball in his hands, as you said, his vision is where he sees the gaps, how he hits the hole, when he bounces outside. His decision-making with the ball in his hands is is looks like a, a vet, right? It feels like a vet. He doesn't have maybe that top-tier athleticism. I think DeCarlos does. And you saw a, you saw that in the first game. You saw that in the second game. You saw a little bit more of that in um, the Sac State game. And so this one-two punch that you're trying to create with the two of them where it's... Their skill sets are similar enough, but just the athletic style is a little different where now you can plug and play any of them and you're always going to have fresh legs and the other team isn't going to look at one or the other and go, oh, they're passing on this. They're running up the middle on this. Like, you know, like when when CB was in, like it was always we're going to we're going to run it up the middle and we're going to power you down. Sometimes he bounce it outside, but he's he's more the guy that I'm going to I'm going to tackle or I'm going to break like seven tackles and get get gain 18 yards. Like that's that's what I'm going to do. Um, And you kind of you kind of saw that coming. He wasn't the the complete back that we kind of envisioned him to be. Um, And we're kind of seeing what his role is. And granted, this year, I don't think he's as healthy again. Right. That whole thing of 
He's he's still dealing with some knocks is what it sounds like. So we'll see what happens when he gets fully healthy. But the younger guys are taking advantage of that space. And to see like Dancy get relegated that far down is wild. It's super wild. Um, so I think that speaks volumes to, hey, the recruiting. <laughs> and it, it speaks volumes to the player development. Like, I mean, we're, we'll talk about other coaches, but like, man, tip of the cap to Aristotle Thompson, man. Like the dude has, the dude has coached up some pretty outstanding running backs and they're playing to their potential now. And so like, not only is it the recruiting, but it's actually the the coaching aspect of it too. And then of course we got to give it some love to Angus McClure and that O-line because that O-line is, is ripping apart D-line, D-lines when it comes to the run game. Right, they're they're making some massive running lanes for some of these yeah. guys, and that's what's huge. I thought you were gonna give the hat hat tip to Bo Baldwin, because I believe Bo Maybe. Baldwin was coaching running backs and was the lead recruiter on these guys. He was. So yeah, look at that. Look at that. Full circle, baby. Um, okay. So two more big picture things before we go on. Before we go on, since we're talking about Damian Moore, let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about the big picture Cal stuff for a little bit. All right. Um, I'm going to read you these stats. Then we'll go into some PFF and some S&P Plus stuff. So far this season, Cal's offense is averaging 30.3 points per game and 435 yards per game. Both highs during Justin Wilcox's era in Berkeley. Cal's total offense yards per game ranks third in the Pac-12 with the Bears fifth in both rushing and passing. Uh, 177 rushing yards per game and 258 yards per game in the air. The Bears' yards per ru- per game rushing, if held up for the year, would be Cal's highest in a season since 2012. <laughs> That's insane. Cal produced 13 plays of 15 yards or more against Sac State last weekend, six on the pass, seven on the rush, the most in any game under Coach Wilcox. Over their last two games, the Bears have had seven passing plays of at least 30 yards. Four Cal receivers are averaging 17.9 yards or more per reception. Kekoa Crawford, 27.3, Trayvon Clark, 22.7, Jake Tonjes, 19.8, and Jeremiah Hunter, 17.9. So, do we have any more offensive worries after we were upset after the Nevada game? Uh, I think you would. your only concern would just be the past. Mm. Coming, you know, your past, the, past, the ghosts of yesterday. Yeah. I, I think that the yeah the offense definitely looks good. There's obviously recency bias is playing an FCS team most recently, right? And the struggles of Nevada are probably still pretty fresh in everybody's mind. But you know the the hope would be, and that's why that's why you know I'm excited. I'm excited for Saturday. One. Because I don't know if I'm spoiling this, but like let's, you know, depth chart, which, you know, shout out to you, Rob, today for pointing out Jeremiah Hunter is the starter is the starter. Kiko Crawford, according to Coach Wilcox, uh, has said that he will most likely be available this Saturday. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he if he's coming off of an injury where he did, hasn't played in a week. Might make sense, and especially after the game Hunter had, but continue, please. I think that there's an opportunity for this to be validated 
through the next two games where you're like, okay, what did Wilcox do in the offseason? Well, he went out and he clearly wanted to address changing and solving the offense, not this last offseason, the offense, offseason before that, um, and has done so. But we're not quite there yet where I think we can definitively say that this offense is like 100% legit. I think two wins in your first two Pac-12 games where you're putting up good numbers, I think everybody will get behind it and be like, okay, now we just got to focus on <laughs> game management, special teams, defense, those three. But once again, I think if you were to just to play, you know, mystery worlds, alternate reality, low-key variants, if in a different low-key variant, we were 3-0, and and these were offensive numbers, I think people might be praising Wilcox a lot more than they are right now. I think you're right. I mean, We need to figure out how to get the timekeepers to change up our variant so we can go live in that one. <laughs> all right, so we'll talk, we'll, let's look at the PFF stuff, right, and the S&P Plus. So I haven't looked at S&P Plus in a while, but it's, I think it's the perfect time to look at it after our out-of-conference schedule is now over. Cal's 1-2. All right, where do you think we rank uh, offensively in S and P plus? Fifty-four. That's oh, pretty good. Fifty-two. Wow. Pretty good. Pretty good. Where I'm do you genius? Where do you think we rank? <laughs> where do we think we rank defensively? Ninety-second. Seventy-fourth. Oh, a lot better than you think. All right, where do you think we rank overall? Well. Uh, let's do some quick math here. <laughs> 71. 66. So, all things considered, if I gave you just those stats, would you say not bad? Like, could be better? Like, what, what would you what would you gauge it just from the S&P Plus rankings? I think the defense taking a fall from top 25 to, seven, to 70th is pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. And but like that does give me a lot of more hope going into. I mean, I was already expecting us to beat UW, but I think you know seeing something like that is just it, it's a feather in the cap to that confidence. Because but the big thing I remember, I mean, we could go back in podcast history, and I remember when Sonny Dykes was head coach, and you and I were looking at S and P Plus, and we're saying if we could just keep our offense as a top 30 offense and have a defense that was 60th in S&P Plus, this team would be hell of good. Mm. And we're never able to make it happen. And then with Wilcox, we're saying, oh, if this, we could just have a top, 30 def- a top 30 defense, but then the offense could just rank in the top, you know, the top 60 offense, we'd be good. So we're there, everybody. We've made it. But... We're, it's different than we expected. <laughs> and it's way more to the, it's not as extreme. It's like, that's the thing we talked about today that I think was really interesting that, um, that Drew brought up, shout out Drew, about, about the, 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 the lack of identity on defense. Whereas like the takers became an identity and there was hype that then came around it. And it was, oh, the secondary, you got to watch out for the secondary. The linebackers were the takers before the takers existed. It was, oh, you got to watch out for the Cal linebacker. Cal linebackers, crazy, right? 
We've never had it on the D-line. No one's ever been like, oh, watch out for their D-line. But those identities are missing. So that's why I think it's harder right now because you're like, what are we? And so if it's a movement towards we're going to be an offensive identity, it feels out of character. You know, it's like watching a show and you're like, wait, it's like watching Nate and Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso season two. Like, <laughs> what, the, what the hell? <laughs> wait a second, right? Like, that's what it's like. It's like you're, it's just that. And I think that's why it's so challenging. And we've sort of skewed towards the middle of the pack. And I, I think people have set expectations and Wilcox and co have set expectations that it'll be more like 30s and 40s than 60s and 70s. And so here we are in 60s and 70s and people are kind of like, and recruits are kind of like, I thought this was going to be different. And I thought this was going to be that step. I mean, do you remember, I mean, you brought up a good point. Like, do you remember when we were looking at Sonny Dykes and SME Plus and what, what you wanted from the next head coach? Or what you wanted from like a balance? projection standpoint you were like if we can maintain like a, you were willing to give i remember you were willing to give up some offense because it wasn't sustainable right you're willing to give up some offense like let's say drop it into like the top 40 if you could get the defense into like the top 100 or the top 80 like that's and i think that you were like that's and i agreed with you i think uh that that was probably like a good spot to be at We've brought yeah, we that we've brought that offense up. We're we're in that level now, right? Like maybe we can go a little bit higher. Maybe that progresses as the season progresses because it, it definitely looks like the deep offense is getting better structurally every single game. Yeah. Um, I mean, the big thing working against you there is it's it's three games and it's out of conference. Exactly. And two of them. Well, one of them was Nevada and the other one was Sacramento State. Right. So I think that's the first thing someone might throw back. Absolutely. No, and I, I totally, I, I can take that. I I can agree. But just from like a, just from what we've seen so far, like let's look at the PFF rankings for a second. I mean, where do you think our offense ranks in PFF in terms of the entire country? Like an overall grade on the offense. Is it just like a traditional school grading system? Uh, It's like, yeah, one through one through a hundred. 78 80 80 80.2 80. 80. where do you think that <laughs> I'm so you're on fire today tonight. what do you, where do you think that places us in in terms of a ranking of the entire country or entire country mm. Mm. 45th 22nd oh man there goes that <laughs> Literally so half. 20, 20 seconds? Yeah. Well, yeah. Offensive, offensive grading. I guess that's where my initial thought was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so PFF is saying we have the 22nd best graded offense so far through the first three games. Mm -hmm. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, that's just wild, dude. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, and they have us ranked, at the, I believe, as the 40, 44th overall best team in the country. Wow, they're very high on us. Sitting at one and two. I believe we're the only team that's sitting... Oh, no, Louisiana Tech is right below us. 49 sitting at one and two. But I don't think there's any other one and two teams in the top 50. Yeah. Well, I mean, we handed the 2CU game away. Right. Handed it away. I mean, the Nevada game, too, really. Yeah. yeah. Nevada game, too. With Carson Strong, really, I felt like he made the they made the plays to win the game. We literally just did not execute <laughs> extra points. I mean, so that's where but, we're at. Yeah, that's where we're at. I mean, it's good to see the data kind of support the the optimism that we've tried to keep here. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, I do want to acknowledge, I'm sure people are tired of, like, the sunshine pumping. It's like, we're not really just trying to sunshine pump for the sake of doing it. It's that, you know, as I go on Twitter today, and, of course, with the news of the decommitment, Justin Martin, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a land of negativity right now with Cal football. There's people saying that, this seems like the end of the Wilcox era. <laughs> and there's others that are, you know, talking about, oh, we need to make a change at the top and we'll never be able to compete if we don't get big recruits. I think that's total shit. Sorry. <laughs> I just do. Because you cannot tell me that Utah hasn't been able to do exactly what we're trying to do right now. They have literally done it for years. For years. Our issue is like we just get I don't know what it is. Are we expecting to win national titles? Is this what we're expecting of our program right now? This is this is the exact same conversation we had yesterday or last week to end the podcast. We talked about oh, this yeah. for like a good like twenty minutes last week. Yeah. It's the exact but same we're conversation. Back here again. Yeah, we're back here again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here we are. Time is a circle. Flat circle. All right. Let's go to the listeners. Let's go to the listeners. All right. Let's start let's start with our friend Kevin Diaz, who says are we absolutely certain that Brett Johnson wouldn't be more effective out there, even if he's only able to use one hip? Well, Kevin, I'm glad you asked because Jake Hayner, the quarterback for Fresno State, beat UCLA with pretty much one hip. <laughs> so, um, so maybe, I mean, so here's the thing. they Brett Johnson traveled with the team to TCU. Brett Johnson is on the sidelines, like standing up and down and, and with his teammates. You can't tell me that there's not even an inkling of a chance that he comes back and suits up this season with the rate at which they're going and like him traveling. Like Andy, you've been you've been around the football team, right? When guys are when guys are out with like a full injury, like they're done for the year. Do they travel with the team? From what I understand, you don't. You're rehabbing, you're usually here. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. 
I mean, because it's it's money, right? On I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like you, you have to buy them a plane ticket. It's the food there, all of that stuff. And if a guy can't even suit up for you to play, why would you take him on that trip? I I don't know. Honestly, I agree. Financially, it doesn't make sense. Hotel room, flights, it's food, it's transportation, all of those things. I think are super valid. Does this team miss Brett Johnson? Holy hell, absolutely. Oh, yeah. My goodness. And am I dying to see Achille Calhoun? Like, that Calhoun-Brett Johnson combination like that, I can't wait. We need it. It's obvious. So that's a huge loss. And, and we knew it at the time. I just don't know if we... Uh, and And... befuddles me why we haven't been able to recruit better on the D-line. I mean, but don't you... Oh, okay, so yeah. so on I that point, so I think... I mean, look at our recruits that we have for the upcoming class. Right? They're mostly in the front seven. Nate Burrell, Jackson Moy, Demonic Williams, um, Curly Thomas, all these guys. They're all D-line or linebackers. And so... So that's why I'm like, uh, it's the it's the end. Uh, okay, sure, we lost two offensive guys, but all these defensive guys with the defense struggling is still sticking around, <laughs> like they're they're locked in. So I don't know what you're really getting mad at. Are you really getting mad at like a flashy quarterback and a running back who've who has already decommitted once, right? Decommitting again without a coaching change or anything of that sort. So. I don't know. I think uh, I think I think your point's valid, and I think that there's a lot of returning players coming soon, um, and freshmen coming in soon. That we'll see. Like Ethan Saunders got the tackle for loss. Like he's one of the guys that I think could get a more expanded role as the season progresses. I love the question. It was a really good question. And yeah, Brett Johnson with one hip. I would take Brett Johnson with one hip in a lot of situations. Don't you usually only don't you only have one hip? Now that I'm thinking about the question, don't. Oh, I mean, don't you have right side left? Is that half half right a hip, hip left hip, half a hip, half a hip? Yeah. All right, we got uh, one from Pat and one from our dear friend Josh on Twitter. Uh, it's kind of the same, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read off both and uh, we can go for it. Josh asks, while a lot of the focus on the secondary, any concerns about the front seven that should be brought to light? And then Pat asks, so with the defense struggling, especially in the secondary, wouldn't it be prudent for the offense to start game planning a more ball control run first often run first offense to try and keep opponents off the field? Easier said than done, but they have shown they can do it at times this season. All right, let's go. Second question first. Okay. You want to start or do you want me to go? Uh you go. I think that that game plan will be exactly what we try to do against UW. Mm. That's it. I think if you look at how UW has played early on outside of the, you know, last week, I think that you're going to see maybe a little bit of a less of a aerial passing attack and more ball control, uh, try to win the turnover battle. You know, it's the same, Wilcox is going to try to win the same way that he's won the last few times. And I think he's going to do it. So I agree with that and i think if you can continue to prove that you can run and run in situations like we have been where you're down and down in distance and you can still run the ball effectively 
I think that's Wilcox. That's his, that's his dream for what this offense can be is that Mm -hmm. I really do. The defensive question. I'd love to hear your thoughts first. Uh, all right. So you, you ready for this? You're ready for this conversation. So we had this, we had this, uh, big like conversation today in our right for California Slack channel, um, about just uh, since the Justin Martin thing happened, like all of us were in there and we were just like talking about other things. And we were talking about, as you talked about what, uh, Drew was talking about earlier about momentum and recruiting. And we talked about like the coaching stuff and, everyone's concerned about the secondary. So let's, let's start there. Right. Everyone's like, Oh, we lost GA. Right. Lost GA big time. Like he's our, he's the big, the big cat we're missing. So Elijah Hicks, Daniel Scott, Josh Drayden, Chiggy, all four of those guys coached by GA. Three of those guys for more than two years. So if GA's not here and he was such a great teacher, which I think he is, do all of the fundamentals that he taught and like the instinctual things just go out the door like this season? Cause it it wasn't there last year. Like it was it was all there last year, right? With all those guys. And then we have, and they're like, and some people were saying, oh, we, we miss or like Marcel Yates for that one year for recruiting. I was like, eh, like he stayed here for a year. It's not like, it's not like he had developed all these relationships and brought them. And we got this whole new crop of, of, uh, cornerbacks and safeties. Cause those were mostly guys that the staff had already been keeping tabs on. Um, and then we go to Trey Watson. And that's where we're at right now. We don't know what the we don't know what the dynamics are in there. Like Wilcox was very upset in that presser. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's on the Cal Bears YouTube channel, the post game presser. Um, and so a part of me is you had, and I think Peter brought this point, which is which I think is great. I don't think it's a coaching issue, in my opinion. I don't. I honestly don't think it is. Not anymore. I think it's a uh, you lost three guys that were drafted in the middle rounds. And this is his words. You lost three guys that were drafted in the middle rounds to the NFL, the next level. I think that drop off is what's it's is what the bigger issue is here. That's that's my take on like the secondary and, and why they I mean, there's no way that Wilcox is letting like Trey Watson and and Peter Sherman, like say, we're just gonna throw Lou Hearns out there as a true freshman and see what it can what he can do at arguably one of the toughest positions to play in football. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Like, I don't think I don't think he would have just like let that go, like on a whim. He's probably watched the tape with them 
through practice, seeing what he's done, see how he's progressed with the coaching that's already in place and the older guys teaching him. And that's why he's out there. In terms of the older guys regressing, that's the one I don't have an answer for. Because you can say, okay, sure, let's say it's coaching. But does does one like offseason of coaching totally regress three to four years worth of coaching from someone else? Like, I don't think it does. I don't think it just evaporates, right? Like, Andy, you, you, you play a bunch of tennis. Like, if you learn to hit a forehand from one coach for eight years and then you switch your coach for one year, I don't think you're going to lose all of those tendencies on how you hit that forehand that quickly and drastically over a year, right? I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you can't break it that simply. I think it's probably true to the fundamentals, but when it comes to things like game readiness or situational awareness, it probably matters more. Maybe. And I think that's the things that it does. I think that conceptually it sounded like Wilcox knows that these players are understanding the concepts that they are talking to them about Mm -hmm. and that they have not changed year over year. But what's frustrating him is I think the game awareness, the game readiness, the situational awareness. And I actually do think that you can pinpoint that on how do you prep somebody to be successful? Because yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, Coaches change a lot in, in high-profile sports, especially tennis. But, like, the difference between, like, a good coach and not a good coach in tennis is a huge difference. Um, and you'll see it sometimes when guys in the opposite direction, like when they're totally on fire and then the coach leaves and it's like sh- 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 things go sideways. I don't know. It's, it's more me playing devil's advocate than anything. I think that, yeah, you can look at the loss of the guys on the secondary and say, yeah, they're NFL caliber. And, yeah, we lost, you know, Cam and Jalen and, like, Ashton. And, like, these guys are really good. But at the same time, like, do I think we would be having these issues in the secondary if GA was coaching? No. The guy got hired by the Dolphins to coach secondary, which is an incredible teacher. I think there's a loss there. There's definitely a loss there, and it's it's impacting. Well, can I play? Can I play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate? Yeah, you talk about GA like being a great coach, right? And I I think he is, but the Dolphins also just benched their first round pick from last year, who was a defensive back. So, (laughs) I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying, like I, I think I think there's an enamorment with GA, rightfully so because of how well that def- they turned around that defense with Sonny Dykes' players, right? Like that from a defensive stamp staff as a whole, particularly because the takers were such a big deal and how well they played in those two years of 2018-2019. And maybe, maybe the lofty expectations of expecting that type of play every single year in and year out is unfair to this team. And the players, but also unfair to put that all on GA shoulders and putting up putting him up on that pedestal. It's a good point. No, I think it's I think that's a good point. The the interesting thing though is that GA and Co. did that with Sonny Dykes players, mm-hmm. but when they've gotten their own players in, they haven't been as successful. Yeah. And it goes for the linebackers too. It's really weird. 
I mean, that, I, was, I think like, that goes what? for recruiting. Because remember, when we were recruiting with GA, we whiffed on a lot of defensive back targets. Right? We whiffed on a lot. And it kind of left the cupboard a little bit bare. Um, And that's kind of where we're at right now. Like, how many guys in that room, like, are in the middle between the seat the like the senior seniors and like Lou Hearns. There's a bunch in there. There's a bunch. There's so many in there. But f- the fact that Lou Hearns leapfrogged all of them to get the starting role, I think that speaks volumes. Yeah. Lou Magia Hearns. I think the kid's good. He's super athletic. There's a reason he was a kick return guy for De La Salle. And he has a really, really bright future. But it doesn't bode well. Like, we also have to, we got to talk about the negatives. We can't always talk about the positives. And if you're going to talk about how great of a coach GA was, you also have to admit the fact that he wasn't that great of a recruiter. And now we're seeing the repercussions of bad recruiting at a specific position. And maybe that's why we've, veered into this coaching staff style of recruiters over developers of talent or developers of talent that, you know, we think that other coaching staff members can probably make up. I think that's kind of where we're at. So yeah, I think it's, I think that's kind of where we're at, but Josh, his question is any concerns about the front seven that should be brought to light. Uh, Yeah. We suck at, we suck at defending the run up the middle <laughs> and we suck at protecting against tight ends over the middle, but that's like a historic thing. We're like, we were historically terrible against tight ends up the middle. So yeah. Am I, am I concerned? Yes. But as we talked about in that slack and um, that was my closing argument in our little discussion there was if there's one thing coach Wilcox is going to get right at some point this season, in any given season, it's the defense. Like, I'm not worried. Like, if you had Sonny Dykes as the head coach and you were asking me that we need this defense to to get back into somewhat rhythm, I'm not sure I would say that's the case. Yeah. What do you want to solve? Pick your problem that you want to solve. And... Do do you end up putting your faith in Wilcox being able to fix a defense? And I say yes. That's why it's so important for the offense to keep doing what they're doing. The offense has to buoy the defense because the defense isn't going to be this year in, year out juggernaut where we limit guys to 24 points a game. That's It's just not going to happen. Like, it's still crazy to me that this defense, what, we average... How much do we give up a game? I think it's like 30-something or 28. I believe we give up 28 yards per game right now. Let me double check. Let me double check. We give up 27.7 points per game after week three. That's still not a lot. Like, that's not a bad defense. But we do have to tighten up some things. So that's kind of where we're at. Is there anything else you want to talk about uh, with that? Or should we move on to some of the other ones? 
No, I'm just looking at recruits right now. And it's so crazy. Like if you go back one year, one year in our recruiting class on two, two, four, seven was third in the pac 12, 28th nationally. And we have Jermaine Terry, J. Michael Sturdivant, Maven Anderson. All offense. Ty Milner. Offense, offense, offense. And then Akili Calhoun. Defense. Derek Wilkins. Defense. Caleb Orr. Yep. Caleb Higgins. Yep. Fashion Sweeney. So you, you get into this. And I was looking at 2020. And it's like 2020's class was like eighth in the Pac-12. Yeah. And... You could sort of see it like everyone's three stars. So, yeah, maybe the coverage were more bare than we thought. I mean, not to knock any of these guys because it sounds like we're doing that. But. You know, there's no one. Miles Williams is basically the same. Three star as Hearns, as Lou Hearns. Except Lou Hearns played at De La Salle, so. That's dope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there's tons of guys like in that 2020 class. You're right. That were totally leapfrog. Look at, tw- let look alone, at 2019. Like, 2019. <laughs> look at 2019. There's, there's guys there. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's just like all these guys just being leapfrogged. And there has to be a reason they're being leapfrogged by a true freshman cornerback, right? Yeah, I agree. There's a there's a lot of depth at corner. Yeah, DB. But I think I have. I mean, isn't there also a fair amount of transfers? Well, um, isn't there like a fair amount of people that are also looking at this as being responsible, like being a part of a core issue with the linebackers? In terms of and the linebacker, the linebacker play, and just giving. There's so much space over the middle, so they're making it harder for the DBs. So we might be isolating the DBs when it's... Well, the DBs are easy to isolate last game because of all the pass interference penalties and all that. But, well, so, you know, the one DB that I feel like keeps getting beat big is Colin Gamble. And I hate to say it, but it's just like... it's <laughs> It happened against Sac State, too. It was just like, man... It's been it's, it's been a tough early season for him, but I hope that the experience helps and that he in the, he can rebound. But I think overall, are we looking at the right problem when it comes to the defense? That's my question to you, Rob. And I mean, expand, please. Well, what we've seen is coins obviously out. And then we've seen the linebacker. It seems like we're getting beat a lot of these plays. Like when I look at that one 35-yard touchdown that they had, Sac State had, what was that play? Well, there was – he gets open over the middle, and then Daniel Scott is just barely late trying to to make the pick there. And and so I sort of think – and then as I look at our games as a whole, I feel like we've really been attacked in the middle of the field. Um or in sort of that 10 to 12 yard area, especially like with Quentin Johnston and then whoever was the big wide receiver that Sacramento State had. Sacramento State really abused us in the middle of the field. It's their tight end. Which was which is really what the linebackers should be picking up. And so I guess the question is to you is is 
is the deficiency at linebacker actually exposing the secondary in a way that's making the secondary look worse than it actually is. I, I'm going to give a cop-out answer, um, but I, th I think it's both ways, right? Because remember that presser that we're both alluding to, like all of the podcasts with Wilcox, he was talking about zone, he was talking about man, and he's like, when they go to man and they go, you know, too high or single high, like they have, they have to win those individual battles. Right. And if those individual battles are being lost, then what do you do to alleviate that? You go to zone. Right. And if you're telling your inside linebackers, hey, we're going to zone. The cornerbacks are not having a good day, which means your tendency is to look to the sideline and not towards the middle to help out those guys when they're when they're running, when they're running. We don't know what routes they're running. Right? They could be over the middle. So if, if it's a if it's an in route, like over the middle, then you're helping your you're helping your DB getting double on them, or if they're going outside, pushing out so they have to squeeze the pass play closer to the closer to the sidelines, and hopefully your DBs can make, make that catch or make that play, or maybe it gives enough time for the safeties to come over and help out. But the moment you're doing that, what does that leave open? You're leaving open the middle, and that's the one place that we constantly got attacked, right? Right over the middle. So... I don't have an explanation for the missed tackles. I think that's a fundamental thing that needs to be solved. But in terms of why that spot was barely open, you, there's no perfect defense. Like unless you have like a Daryl Revis type who can who can put guys on islands. Like even TCU like had Hodges Tomlinson, who is Ladanian Tomlinson's cousin, by the way. Big Ladanian Tomlinson fan here. So um and he's like their best corner, right? And he was getting beat, but they still kept to it. And he made some plays down the stretch. We don't have that seat cornerback right now. Like Cam was that guy. Elijah was that guy when he played corner, but we've moved him to safety. And so I don't think we have that guy right now to at least lock down one side that we can. We, we're like, all right, he's got this. If this other guy's struggling, let's shift the zone a little bit and help him out here. Or we'll shift the man a little bit help him out here. Maybe we'll put in a QB spy and whether our inside linebackers, like that was one of the big things for us is when we play a running quarterback, we'd always have at least one inside linebacker running a QB spy. He'd always have his eyes just straight parallel shoulders aligned to the quarterback goes where he goes. Usually the Weaver job, but we don't have that guy anymore, which means we need to play of a more structured defense and pushing guys and zone coverages into areas and it's if we're going to push it out to the sidelines, the middle of the zone is going to be, as uh, as our dear friend Rico put it, soft and squishy. And that's where they attacked. Now, the, the way to alleviate that, it, it goes both ways. You got to tell your corners, you got to do your jobs, and you got to make the plays so that we can funnel our linebackers and everyone in. But also, you got to tell your defensive line you got to get to the quarterback faster. You can't let these plays develop, right? And so you can let the rest of the guys behind you to react faster. So, right. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the fix for it is. But as we said, like, we don't want to keep sunshine pumping. But if there's one thing Wilcox knows how to fix and we've seen historically he knows how to fix it's defense 
I have no doubt in my mind they'll get this right. Next question. All right. So, uh, of course, our very number one podcast listener, Sid, honestly just concerned about the secondary. I know I have this expectation of being better. Uh, quote or parenthesis, just overall with the defense and parenthesis because of how we were only a few years ago. But as Andy keeps saying, I will always be waiting. I will also be waiting four games until I freak out. One game away. We're almost there. <laughs> One game from full freakout mode. And then we give Sid permission to do the meltdown. I think I'll melt down with it. But I feel good. I feel good about this UW game. I do too. I really do. And I think we just talked about the, the DBs enough not to recover it. Yeah. But I feel good about this weekend. I think this is a this is a winnable game. And if you're two and two, want to want to know going into Pac-12 play, I think um, I'll take those odds. I, yeah, I think the fans will it'll get a little bit of a, a brighter outlook. I mean, you you beat UW, and then you have Wazoo at home in a homecoming game, right? Yeah. Money. And you take it to the house against Rolovich, which I really hope they do. Rolovich is not even going to be able to attend because the entire city of Berkeley is going to require vaccination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's going to be it's going to be hilarious to see what happens there. Um, or I mean, I think it's what it's a negative negative PCR test seventy two hours before the game, right? So you could technically do that. I don't know if. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows? knows? City of Berkeley could just come in over the top and be like, sir. <laughs> Either get the jab or you're not or you entering. Come. You're not entering yeah, the city. Love that. Um, but yeah, that's. And then, yeah, let's say you do take it and you go into a bye week, three and two, two and no in Pac 12 play, taking on Oregon in a Friday night game coming off the bye. And Oregon's going to be, Oregon's gonna be on a short week. I'll take those odds. Yeah, me too. Me too. And an Oregon team you beat last year. Mm-hmm. With probably, so. a worse quarterback. probably a worse quarterback. Yep. All right, we got uh, we got two more here. Uh, one from Brandon. He says, well, you can't put too much stock into beating F- Stack State. I'll take a win, however they can get it. But while I feel Garbers and the offense is fine, the defense needs to pick it up. Very hard to beat teams like USC, Oregon, UCLA if they can't get off the field on third down. Well, Brandon, it's... It's good that you say that because Fresno State beat UCLA without getting off the field on third down. <laughs> so um, it is possible. No, I, I kid. Uh, I think that's a valid point. Uh, you can't beat teams like that uh, without getting off the field on third down and manageable, right? Like third and eight, can't give up the eight. Like give up the two, three yards on a, you know, on a little dink pass or like a run. But you got to wrap them up. You got to close it out. You got to get your offense back on the field to increase the score differential. Like, you got to do that. Yeah. I think, what is USC showing right now that we're scared of? I don't know. I don't know. So, do they even belong in that list? What is UCLA showing right now that we're scared of? Not after the Fresno State game. I mean, the LSU game, I thought I was like, oh, wow, okay, this team's pretty good. But... Every single, I will say this 
until it's not true. Every single team that we will play on this schedule is beatable with the defense that we have right now. It is. Plain and simple. With what you just said about the offense, the offense were to stay consistent as it is today. Every single team is beatable. Now, that's what we're not expecting. We are all expecting to see the previous version of the offense, and that's okay. We don't have Pac-12 history to reflect on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is, I don't, I'm not scared of SC. Are you guys serious? We're looking at SC? No way. Maybe those words will come back. <laughs> I'm just not scared of them. The only thing I'll say about SC is like everyone like at the at the Cal game, like we looked at the score and it's like, oh, Wazoo's a 14 on SC. And we like laughed. And then that was the only points Wazoo scored for the rest of the game. <laughs> I mean, I'm scared about their athletes. Like there's no question about it. Like the the size, the speed differential is just it's it's that's different for sure. But from a from a game planning and everything, like if they're still running that air raid, we're pretty good at shutting down an air raid offense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Less good this year. Less good this but year. But schematically, general. I think we still know how to shut it down. We'll see. Let's see how SE does against um, against Oregon State. Mm -hmm. That's a real test. Yeah, Oregon State's got a the team I'm most scared of is Oregon yeah. State. I think Oregon State is going to beat us. I think we're gonna. I think um, we're gonna lose to Oregon State and Arizona. So no, nothing ever good comes out no of us going to Arizona. Way are we losing to Arizona? No As, way. If Arizona was playing no here, way. I'd say sure. But the fact that we're playing in Arizona. Do you remember the last time we no. played Arizona here? It was that double overtime, or was no it triple overtime? Way where yes, we went for two. Tate. Where we went for two and then, Tate, yeah. right? two and then yeah. Is that his name? Khalil Tate? Yeah, it was Khalil Tate. It was Khalil Tate, the double overtime game where we went for two to win it. That was here. Yeah, that was in Berkeley. Yeah, that was in Berkeley. And that was the difference between us making a bowl game. That, that was. Year. That was. Because we. But here's the thing, dude. There's no chance. <laughs> There's no chance. Next question. Next question or like comment, and this is kind of good to kind of close it all out. Pelgridge Spetter on Twitter says, "At least we won." Which is hell. Which is a hell of a lot more than I can say about the rest of the Pac-12. That's the spirit. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's like the spirit of the podcast right now. We won. We might be bad, but so is everybody else, and that's okay. We won. We won. Like I don't. I'm like. We won. <laughs> I don't. I. This is what this is what upsets me. Like. Or kind of as disappointing about our fan base is like we we won. What what more do you want? Like we lost two games, then we won one, and we're going into Pac-12 play. The season hasn't ended yesterday off of a one win, like one and two season. It's not like 2020. <laughs> like it wasn't a one and three season. Like we still have what nine more games to play, including this weekend. Enjoy it. Why are you stressing out about a win and how we played? We won. I I also think too. It's like the Nico return is so funny. It's the easiest return he's ever had of all the returns that he's had called <laughs> back. The one that wasn't was just like the most vanilla. <laughs> he broke that one tackle and was yep. gone. But you have to appreciate Cal's ability to like kind of step on the throat a little bit of Sacramento State and put that game out of distance. 
Yeah, like sacks. Okay, great. They kicked a field goal and scored a touchdown on a play that D. Scott, he went all or nothing on it. And okay, so the, the final score, people just look at the final score and then make big reactions about the final score. Oh my gosh, we only beat Sacramento State by 12. Well, who's their coach? Oh, it's Troy Taylor, an offensive coordinator candidate that we wanted to come to our school. Why? Because he was super successful at Utah. Okay, so that might make sense why they put up points on the board. But guess what? The game was out of sight at the end. And it wasn't out of it wasn't like close like a Dykes close game. It was done. The game was done. It was over. I yeah. I mean that's that's I mean they they had to score a touchdown and then try to get an on onside conversion and then would have had to score a touchdown and then a field goal. Are we seriously tripping about that? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I know the bench didn't play. But guess what? That's fine. It wasn't a close game. Like it was, yeah, they rallied back. They have a good offense. They have a good coach. Like we have a coach that we know has a good track record as an offensive mind. So I don't know. I mean, I just, I just, as we've said before, like the expectation things, like maybe we should all just be like, Hey, we're going to be like six and six, seven and five. If we win more, it seems yay. it seems to be working right now. <laughs> I mean, the one of the comments I put out in like I think uh, either Nam's novel or Nick's Monday column was people were like clamoring about like the the like how things haven't improved. I'm like, oh, really? They haven't. Like, what was the number one thing people were clamoring for after week one, after the Nevada loss? Offense, 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 offense. Why won't we throw over the top? Why won't we throw deep balls? Why does this offense turtle? What happened in week two? We come out, we come out firing. <laughs> we come out just throwing downfield and we score a bunch of points. So, okay, improvement. What was the biggest thing that people were clamoring for after week two? Extra points, special teams, PATs. Why are we missing? Why are we going for two? Complete. Like, just get the points. Get off the field. What did we do? We scored on a kickoff return. Special teams. We made all our PATs. Special teams. Nothing was shanked. Nothing was... No blocking scheme was weird. We cleaned that up. Right? And now we're going into week three, and the big thing that people are clamoring for is, why is our pass defense so terrible? Judging by our track record this season, that might be the next thing that gets fixed. <laughs> I don't know why people are like being so like I get your I get the concern. The concern I understand. But at least give the guys a chance and look back at the last four years of a track record before calling for people's jobs and saying that they're not gonna be able to turn it around. You can't say you believe in the kids and then not give the coaches the benefit of the doubt who have worked with multiple generations of kids over the last five years. I just don't think you can. That's where I'm at. Let's just go get that W. Please. Please. That's all I ask. All right. Andy, we should give the listeners just like a five-minute take on what we think is going to happen in the UW game. We're going up to Seattle. It's a 6.30 kickoff. Weirdly on Pac-12 Network because none, none of the teams are hyped. <laughs> so it's a UW-Cal game that's at night in Seattle. The last time we were up in Seattle in a night game, 
was the lightning game, the Thor Bowl. Um, and Wilcox was talking about that in the presser today about how they ordered peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for all the players, which I think is, which I think is an awesome story. Um, if you want to listen on that, go, go listen. There's also a little nice little moment where he absolutely praises Shane Vereen and Shane Vereen was on the call and he like Shane chips in and he's like, you're too nice. (laughs) Um, but yeah, go listen to that. Uh, it's on the Cal Bears YouTube channel. But how do you think? How do you think? What? How do you think Saturday's gonna shake out? There is an eighty-six percent chance of rain on Sunday, and a zero percent chance of rain on Saturday. Mm. So it's looking <laughs> good. But if you bring in that Sunday weather to Saturday, you could have some mischief. I fully expect this team to go in, execute on offense like we have been, score 28-plus points, and hold the Huskies. You know, I think maybe you could see the game finish at, you know, like a 35-25 type deal. That's what I'm expecting. I could be totally wrong. Been wrong before. You've been pretty good with number uh, predictions today on the podcast so far. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm feeling good after that. The only one I got wrong was yeah. the last one. So hopefully this this isn't a trend. That's what I'm expecting. What about you? I think I think similarly the same. Like there's there's been some issues with UW and their roster, right? Like they lost a bunch of linebackers this year um, due to medical reasons or to transfers. They've lost um, defensive linemen to injuries. They've lost. I remember the first game, their top like three wide receivers like didn't even suit up for the game, just like on on the day on game day like out. Granted, a lot of them came back uh, for that game this past week against Arkansas State, I believe. So there is room. There is some room for concern at the very least because they're getting bodies back. But man, John Donovan, their offensive coordinator and their track his track record, not great. Not great. Like, have you seen some of the? Have you seen some of his stats? Let me let me pull this up real quick, and then this is what this will end on, just to give some people a little bit of hope um, regarding the uh, the UW game, because everyone's a little bit upset and and all that right now, right? So let's take a look. Give me this. Looking up these tweets. Where be the tweets? Uh, dang. I sent it to someone and it's like farther up than I expected. But. Oh, well, okay. So here's one of the stats is uh, not about John Donovan, but Dylan Morris and Cal or Cal's Chase Garbers. Top two in the league or in the conference in uh, passing yards per game. Which is pretty funny. But here's the here's the thing about John Donovan. So John Donovan became the OC of Penn State in 2014. All right. Andy, let's play a numbers game. Let's see. Let's see if you can get these right. All right. Penn State allowed 22 sacks in 2013. That's the year before John Donovan. John Donovan becomes the OC in 2014. How many sacks did they allow in 2014? 40. 44. Hey, not bad. Not bad. 
streak is over. How many in 2015? Forty-five. Thirty-nine. Mm. Okay, but still around, still around that number. Okay, John Donovan was then fired in twenty fifteen after the twenty fifteen season. Then in the twenty sixteen season, who do they hire? They hire Joe Moorhead, who is now the offensive coordinator for Oregon. How many sacks do you think uh, Penn State had that first year in twenty sixteen? Twenty. 24. 24. It's a, it's a little spike. All right. And then here's also one more thing. Penn State hired Moorhead in 2016, right? Their offense goes from 101st to 21st in one season while scoring 37.6 points per game. They won 11 games three times between 2016 and 2019 before uh, Moorhead took, I believe, the Mississippi State job. Yeah, so noticeable gains. Noticeable gains for Oregon, but noticeable changes for John Donovan as an offensive coordinator. So I could see why Oregon fans or Utah fans are not happy um, with the John Donovan hire. Let's go get that done. Some numbers for it. Um, I mean, that's plain and simple. It's doable. Win ugly. Go get it. Hey, just win, baby. Just win. You saw it with the Chiefs and, uh, what's it, Ravens game this week. You saw it with the Vegas uh, Raiders and the Ravens game last week. Just need to win. That's all that matters. Doesn't matter how you do it. No moral victories and wins. Only moral victories and losses. I think that's it. And that's a wrap here on the California Golden Bear Cast, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can find all our stuff anywhere on all podcast services around the world. You can also find most of our written stuff at rightforcalifornia.com. We do have a premium subscription for all of your PFF and play breakdowns of Cal stuff. So be on the lookout for that. Or if you are a subscriber, thank you. But if you aren't, you can go take a look at that. Uh, and I believe the next thing you'll have from us is probably a chat with uh, UW Dog Pound about knowing your enemy. It'll probably drop closer to closer to game day. But outside of that, that's it. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.